This morning's scripture is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we gather this morning as, as ones called out, called out of our old way of life, called out of our old habits, called out of our sin. We gather as a body, a new people, a priesthood, a church. We gather as this new family because of you, Christ, and what you did so long ago, your self-sacrificial love that led you to the cross. A tool meant for death is our victory, is our freedom. Freedom to a new way of life, Lord. I pray this morning, Lord, this new way of life would be marked with love for our new family. May this way of life be marked with trust in unity. I pray our hearts and minds would be stirred to a deeper love of you and of others. Father, in light of our call to unity and being part of something bigger than us, I pray for our brothers and sisters that meet across this city. I pray for Pastor Stephen Furtick in Elevation Church. I pray for Pastor Bruce Brown at Prosperity Presbyterian Church, for Pastors Troy and Penny Maxwell at Freedom House Church. Lord, we could go on and on and pray for our brothers and sisters all across this city. In all of these places, Lord, I pray that they and that we would be marked by unity. Unity in our call to preach you, Christ. Unity in our call to love this city and our neighbors well. Now as we turn to your word, may these words be yours and point others to you. Amen. Well, today we conclude this series that we've been in 
I believe in God, but... And at some level, we end with one, to use the old cliche saying, is kind of preaching to the choir. After all, you're here. It's Memorial Day weekend, and you're here. But I still believe there are ways in which we can apply this to ourselves. You might be here this week, but it happens to be the one week out of the month that you actually are. You might be here this week, but you know someone, maybe one or two degrees removed from you, that wholeheartedly believes this. And by six degrees, you know Kevin Bacon. Sorry. Maybe you're here and you feel this way. I mean, at some level, right, we can all be honest with ourselves, and there are things that I like and that I don't like about church. Perhaps you get frustrated when the preacher begins to wrap up his conclusion, and it takes a lot longer than a normal conclusion does. Perhaps it's a good week, though, because the pastor referenced Fortnite. That's two weeks in a row, by the way, we're referencing. If you don't know what Fortnite is, ask somebody younger than you. All the young kids are like, oh my gosh, the senior pastor referenced Fortnite. That's awesome. Maybe it was a rough day from the song choice. Maybe you can't hit those notes. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was a good day. You loved every song, right? Okay, so brief generational educational moment. These are called GIFs and meme, uh, uh, memes. Memes is spelled Mimi. And, and now you know, and now you're hip, okay? So some of this is meant to be funny. Some of this is meant to draw on the fact that a lot of times we bring preferences into places that we're unaware of, and that other people have preferences. Maybe the music is always dragging. Maybe the music is always fast. I prefer music in 13-8 uh, time. Um, so the musicians got that joke. <laughs> Sorry, that was to Dave, really. Um, maybe it's too loud. Maybe it's too quiet. Maybe the preacher's too young. Maybe the preacher's too old, too formal, too casual, too simple, too difficult, too red, or too blue. We all bring things into this space, into this place. And sometimes we have to address whether or not those are just preferences there are serious things, though, that as well, that cause a cynical heart, that cause a calloused heart. There are many reasons we can easily become disheartened with the church, disenfranchised with the church. I think it's playing out across the American landscape right now in many, many churches. Honest and sincere wounds have been caused in the church as well. My hope and my goal this morning is to call us here and now to two things. To love the church and to live the church. Of course, I got more subpoints than that. I mean, don't think any preacher will let you get away with two points, right? To love the church and to live the church. And hopefully in that, to call us and others to something amazing. Now, to love the church, we need to understand the church. What I mean by this is we need to know what the church is. Now, if you were with us last week, we had a bunch of new members line up and join the church. And Kevin stressed that when we talk about church, we're not talking about a building. We're talking about a people. Church in Greek literally is the called out ones, the Christ followers, people. Historically, churches, buildings were called meeting places. And so the church would gather at the meeting place. 
And the church, big C, as we said in the Apostles' Creed, the Holy Catholic Church, the big C church, capital C church, is not the individual, but the group as a whole. This is Paul's point in 1 Corinthians about the body. The body may be made up of individual parts, but no single part exists without the whole. So I think of the church in in kind of three ways. It's the people globally through space and time, but also the people locally. The people who gather and assemble in this meeting place, in this city. So again, often we say that the church is not a building, but I don't think there's an either-or dichotomy there. Um, I completely agree with that, but we as people, we live in space and time, right? We inhabit space and time. Yes, the church is made up of people, but because we exist in place, physical space matters. Place matters because it's in physical space that we live and move and commune. After all, think of the word home. That's your family, but it can also mean your house. Yes, you can have a home without a house, but in no way we would say that that is what's to be desired, right? So we are the church. If you claim the title Christian, you are a part of the church, whether you want to be or not. That's again what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians. Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop belonging to part of the body. Now, why should I love the church? It's a simple answer, actually. Because Jesus died for the church. In Acts, Paul, Paul's leaving some instructions to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And in verse 28, he says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the called out ones, the church, which he bought with his own blood. Paul says it elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 6. He talks about you were bought with a price. The church is precious because God spilled his blood for the church. Now, I don't know about you. It can be really easy for me to apply that to my life as an individual. It can be a lot harder to apply that to people around me. Especially if they don't line up to what I think is right or what I think is doctrinal, right? Am I the only one that struggles with that? Look around you. The people around you were bought with the blood of Christ. The person next to you may have voted for Clinton. They were bought with the blood of Christ. The person next to you may have voted for Trump. They were bought with the blood of Christ. The person next to you may have voted for Johnson or not voted at all. They were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's what aligns us. Why are we called to love the church? Because Jesus did. Enough to die for her. Why do I think the church is worthy of your love? Because Jesus died for her. It's that simple. There's a great theologian. His name is Karl Barth. Brilliant, brilliant man. Somebody had asked him, what's the most profound thing that you have learned about God? And his answer, any six-year-old could say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's not profound, and yet it is. Why should we love the church? Because Jesus 
died for her. And I mean that in the twofold sense. The people across the globe that are our brothers and sisters, but also the local gathering of our brothers and sisters. I don't think I can stress this larger-than-me illustration enough. Paul, and again, when using the body as an example in 1 Corinthians, he says, okay, you, you might be a big toe. That might be the part of the body that you are. Even more the left big toe. Wow, there's nothing wrong with the left big toe. Maybe you're the pinky toe. But the toe, without being connected to its source, will wither and die. The toe is part of the foot. And maybe Stonebridge is the foot. We're a part of something bigger than us. He sums it up in, in verse 27. Now, you, plural, y'all. Nah, that doesn't work. Yuns. That's, that's for the Pittsburgh people. Are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Why are we to love the church? Because Jesus does. But secondly... He commands us to. Ah, oh, commands. I don't, I don't like that word. I don't like being told what to do. Even more, what should I love? He calls us to this. John, one of the 12 disciples, spent his, his, his time following and studying under Jesus. Saw Jesus persecuted. Saw Jesus crucified. Saw him resurrected and ascended. One of his last letters to the church says, in this command He has given us, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Must. Oh, I don't like that word. John, John, come on. You don't know Tim. He's a Debbie Downer. He's judgy. He's got that terrible carpet on his upper lip. He smells funny. <laughs> He doesn't bathe enough. Sorry, did I say that? We're called to love the church. I mean, can't, can't I just follow you, Jesus, from afar and not have to interact with other people? Can't I just watch online? No. That's not love. Last weekend I was doing a wedding uh, for somebody that had grown up in the church, and, and I referenced C.S. Lewis. And I mean, so a sermon is when you preach the word, right? But a good sermon is when you quote C.S. Lewis, right? So, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this wedding, and I quote C.S. Lewis because we're talking about um, the fact that emotive love might have brought you to that point, it might have been what sparked the engine. But there's a deeper love, a second sense of love that keeps the engine running. And C.S. Lewis unpacks this in Mere Christianity. It's a love that is maintained by the will, by the grace of God, and is practiced. He poses it this way. Ceasing to be in love need not mean ceasing to love. In loving the church, there will be days that we will not be in love with her but that does not mean we cease to love her. Okay, so love the church. Why? Jesus did. Jesus died for her. Jesus commands us to. But how? How do I love the church? 
How do I live the church? How do I be the church, be a part of the church? Ultimately, I think you have a choice. You and I have a choice. This goes back to, if you remember Rick preached a few uh, sermons ago, the idea that you can't change your spouse. Okay, if you were there for that, awesome. If you weren't, you can't change your spouse. Okay? You can't. You can change yourself. You can work on yourself. So that's kind of flowing into, as we move into the next, this next point, how do we live the church? This is not an exhaustive list by any means, but ultimately they're aimed at me. Tim, how do you need to love the church? And you get to just listen in. See, because again, I think we walk into places with, with a choice of the attitude that we're going to bring with a choice of the way we're going to interact and look at the people around us. And I think the first thing is to choose to be curious over criticism. To me, again, this is an attitude that we often carry into places. So I don't know if any of you have seen the, the movie, the, the Greatest Showman. It's a phenomenal musical. The music's excellent. My boys love it. My mom and dad are in town. They've never seen it, but they've Heard the songs probably more than anything else now just in these few days because uh, my boys will ask for it and sing it. In fact, Rhett will sing it on the way into preschool. It's the cutest thing. Um, and in, in this movie, you've got one character who's a critic. And he's always critiquing what Barnum is doing. He's unable to enjoy the show. He's unable to see the joy that it brings others. And such an attitude we can easily bring wherever we go. Those songs just weren't that moving today. His message seemed a little off today. Why did they choose to do it that way? Well, did, did they think about this? Did they think about that? And often our conversations spin off into other conversations where we kind of go on a little fact-finding mission to justify that we, I was right in feeling that way. And if I've not said this, if you didn't hear me say it the first time, I'll say it again. I'm preaching to myself in this, and here's how I'll illustrate this. If my job, in part, is to speak in front of others, I'm here, right? It can be very easy for me to enter in with the attitude of, yeah, I wouldn't have said it that way. I probably would have phrased it this way. Uh, I don't really agree with that. Oh, I don't and before long, instead of letting the word of God work on me, I go to work on the speaker. Choosing to be curious over criticism is a choice and an attitude with which I can change and I can bring into this family. Second, choose trust over suspicion. Whether we know this or not, we all tell ourselves stories. Stories that lean us to suspicion or lean us to trust. Here's... so. Here, here's what I mean. You see somebody do something, but you don't really know their motives, right? You don't really know their intent, and we backfill a story in why they did what they did. We fill in the gaps. And more often than not, if we're honest with ourselves, we fill in those gaps in ways that make me look good and them look like idiots, we tell ourselves stories. 
Another example from my own life. Knox was a brand new baby, home with mom. I get home from work, the dishes aren't done. What has she been doing all day? The story in my head, nothing. She's had a new, it's just, he sleeps most of the time. The story in my head, leaning towards suspicion rather than trust. We don't only do this at home. We do this when we walk in here. We do this in every area of our lives. Choose a different story then go and have the dialogue with the actual person. Third, choose unity over division. So there's a growing segment of people walking away from the church for this, for that, that, that would say this, I believe in God, but not in the church. And this is one of the reasons that they walk away. We have the habit of sniping other churches, sniping other pastors, sniping other leaders, other denominations. Again, I'm going to say it a third time. I'm preaching to myself. I was recently at a conference in Atlanta and there was a speaker who was preaching on unity for the church. And the speaker was referencing John 17, the high priestly prayer, the moment where Jesus is praying for his church, praying for those who will come after him. Do you need to praise for He doesn't pray for doctrinal correctness. He prays for unity. What does he want for the church when he's gone? That they may be one. That they may be brought to complete unity. Why? So that the world will know the Father sent Jesus. So he preaches this sermon. Not three days later, an article shows up on a Christian website saying how they disagreed with him on this point and that point and this point. Do you get the irony? A sermon on unity and we respond with disunity? People are walking away because we are arguing about issues that we think in our hubris we have 100% right Now, I'm not saying, again, we shouldn't dialogue about this. But we should dialogue in a way that is curious, in a way that is trusting, in a way that is unifying. And that looks different. And we need to be honest with ourselves when something really is just kind of a preference or somebody can still be a Christian and view this a little bit differently. And God forbid we would bring some humility to the conversation. Tim, are you listening? Maybe we should do a better job between figuring out what are essentials and non-essentials. The call in all of this is to carry an attitude of curious trust, aiming us towards unity, rather than critical suspicion, which often fosters division and disunity. These things, these attitudes can often rob us of joy. They can harden our heart. They can stop our eyes and our ears. They rob us of joy and they dry up our soul. Okay, I'm hitting these kind of fast. Or or in your head you're going, yeah, right, Tim, you're not done yet. Choose to be safe. How safe do you and I want to be? 
Here's what I mean by that. Did you guys hear about that pastor that had found out he was addicted to pornography and alcohol and even was soliciting? What if I just signaled to you? You can't share with me. You might have a deep struggle that you just need someone to be there with you. And I've just said, yeah, he might talk about me to somebody else. In such a way, we signal to others that this is not a safe place, that we are not safe. Choose to be safe. Guard your words. In fact, the next series we're going to be getting into, the book of James, talks a lot about the power of our words. Choose to be present. I really like Wendell Berry. He's, uh, I love his essays. I love his fiction. Uh, he, he has a poem where one of the lines is, stand like slow-growing trees on ruined place, renewing and enriching it. I believe one way in which we live the church is to be present, to be committed, to be stable for the long term. Now, I understand, again, there are definitely ways and and things that require us to relocate, to move. But if we don't have to, why do we? Here's what I think this looks like. I know of someone in our church who disagrees with us on some doctrine, but they are committed to this place, to be here. Another way we are present, is in line with Hebrews 10, what Doug referenced in the call to worship. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Not giving up meeting together. One way in which we are present is to physically be here. We talk about the three S's sometimes in the church. Sundays, service, and small groups. Sundays, how often are you here? Or how often are you making it a priority to worship in a house of God somewhere? on a Sunday. We have, we have over 900 members in this church. On average, we see 600, a little over 600 on a Sunday. It's not that 300 just aren't showing up. It's a Sunday here, a Sunday there, a missed Sunday here, something else gets in the way here. And I'm not saying again that you can't miss a Sunday, but can we at least assess our own hearts, what our priorities might be? As parents, are we modeling to our kids that there's a pecking order? There's a priority list of one over the other? That this commitment is more important than this one? Are we modeling a convenient faith? And we may never say this, but this whole series is bound up on the fact that the things that we we say we believe, but our lives show to be different. Again, I hope you hear me that there are exceptions and extenuating circumstances in a church this large there are many there are, there are many circumstances and there are many reasons but don't don't let that stop you as an individual assessing your own heart finally to be present only half the time is or sorry to be present is only half the call i think finally the call is to choose to be engaged This goes back to Paul's illustration of the body. You may play a part. You may be a big toe. But the body needs you. The church needs you. You play a part, but your part is needed. We need others, and others need us. 
The other S is of Stonebridge, small groups and service. These are two distinct avenues with which you not only receive the gifts of others, but you give yourself away, give your gifts to others as well. Paul talks about this in multiple places. In Romans 12, 3 and following, he unpacks how we, we have gifts that differ and how they benefit the entire body. We need you. And you need us. I think also choosing to be engaged kind of counters or slightly corrects this mentality that we can bring to church sometime, a refueling mentality. That I show up on Sunday to be filled, ready to go, and sent out into the week. And I think there is some truth to that. And we gather together and we experience together God's presence and, and, and we practice what it means to follow Christ. And, and we go out and we come in and we go out and we gather and we're sent and we gather and we're sent. But if that's only your mentality of what church is and not the call to be engaged, it can easily turn into only receiving and never engaging, never giving. In all of this, my hope and my prayer is that we see the church, we see the people who span space and time, who span the globe, and the people who gather locally as family, as brothers, as sisters, and worthy of our love because we've seen the lavish love that the Father has shown to us. A love that was backed up by his spilled blood on the cross. A love that was backed up by the resurrection. A love that was backed up by the empowering of the church, by the Holy Spirit. May we love the church as deeply as Jesus does. May our allegiance to him and to his global bride outshine all other allegiances. May his prayer for us in John 17 ring true for us. May we be one as he is with the Father. May we be one so that the world would know who Jesus is. May we be one so that Charlotte would know who Jesus is. May we be one so that your neighbors would know who this Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for calling us out of darkness and calling us into your marvelous light. I pray, Lord, you would make us aware that you you have called me, yes, but you have called me and brought me into something that is not just me. And that something cost you a lot. Far more than I could ever imagine giving up. Far more than I could ever imagine doing. Father, may we love your bride, warts and all. May we be one as you call us to be one. Lord, we confess to you our offenses. We confess we might have been afraid. We repent of our pride. I pray that all hurt would be washed away. Lord, we repent of all the wars and violence that we've committed against our enemies and against each other. Come heal us. Make us one. 
Father, as we give you our tithes and our offerings, they are but a small act of worship. An act of trust. Giving to this local part of your bride to go and do kingdom work in many ways across this city. Not so that Stonebridge can be known, but so that you can be known, Christ. So, Father, we give. May you use it to make your name known. In the saving name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.